The Accounting Matters Podcast lives up to its name. Every other week, we bring you a new episode where we cover vital accounting topics that actually matter to accounting professionals. Each episode, we introduce a new topic and then highlight and discuss the key areas. We're your hosts, Adam Olson and Zach Smith, and we hope you stick around for all things accounting from A to Z. From Embark's headquarters in Dallas, Texas, you're listening to Accounting Matters. I'm your host, Adam Olson, Embark's Accounting Advisory Practice Leader. On today's episode, we'll wrap up the final installment of our three-part mini-series talking about the deals transaction lifecycle. And in this episode, I'm happy to welcome a new podcast guest to the studios, Embark's Managing Director from Phoenix, Brett John, to talk about all things that happen when companies look to exit their investment. Brett has extensive experience in the deals and capital market space and has a lot of insight and experience to share today. So happy to have you join me, Brett. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So Brett, we're talking about all things related to a company's exit strategy. I know there's a lot for us to get into today. Um, you know, you and I have talked leading up to this podcast about a number of things that we could cover, but really just to kind of maybe help set the stage for our listeners when we're thinking about kind of this this final phase of a transaction life cycle for companies. Can you tell me a bit more about why a company may decide that they either need to sell either its whole business or a part of its business? Like what are some of the factors that kind of influence some of those decisions? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think some of it can be personal decisions. If you're a founder led company, some of it can be business led decisions. If you're trying to divest a portion of the business, for instance, if you have, you know, an under for underperforming part of your business, you know, or an asset that, really is just not strategic value anymore for where the direction of the company is trying to go. There can be a piece of the business that you decide, hey, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to hold on to it anymore. There's value somewhere else. It's an underperforming asset to the market or undervalued asset to the market, which is actually still a good business. But there could be a buyer out there that sees um, potential synergies and strategies with that business that you can get more value out of than continuing running yourself and allowing the market to continue to undervalue the business. So I'd say those are probably the, the biggest thing. Sometimes it's not a decision that you get to make. Sometimes you're kind of forced into those decisions, sure. right? So you, you, know, you get too, too much debt, regulatory situations, um, strapped for cash, you know, it can be a whole, whole lot of different uh, things. And if there's not a bunch of access to capital, you're already highly levered. Uh, sometimes the best decision is just to go figure out where in your business makes the most sense to kind of sell off to to get some cash. Yeah, like a distress sale situation. Yep. Never ideal, but definitely, you know, can happen from for, time to time. For sure. So, you know, as part of structuring a well thought out exit, I imagine it includes thinking about all the various components of a business that help drive its value. You know, you talked a bit about strategic synergies and things like that. Can you tell me about what management needs to be looking at when they're thinking about where their value drivers exist in yeah. their business or a component of their business? Absolutely. And it's a great question. It's not, the starting point's always a little cliche. Like I always start with moat, right? Yep. How do you protect your business? Um, so that's always a really important thing is thinking about, you know, what's what's protected about this business. And then I continue to think about like what 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 do we offer that's scarce? What is what do we offer the, to the market that nobody else is really offering? Yep. Um, and I think the last thing is then how do we remain sticky in the market, right? How do you, so you, you combine all of those things, and you should be able to kind of look back at um, your business in general. And sometimes this gets really hard for companies because they get so wrapped up in running the day to day, and they know how they've thought about the business, they know how the, his, the history of the business, and it's hard to kind of put the lens through what a, what a buyer is going to perceive, you know, in the market. So I think that's a really important thing is, is being able to kind of take that step back, that 50,000 foot view, um, view the business that way. And then I think once you've identified those, it's 
the question, a big question of, of trying to piece your story together and when you're doing your sell side story um, is really going to be, are, are these, these drivers, are they tangible and quantifiable or are they perceive, perceived? Because um, the way you position those can be very different and, mm-hmm. and can be received very differently, right? You know, the, the quantifiable and tangible things stick the facts. It's always easier to, to, to stick to things that are true rather than have to back away from things that were presented later in a deal. Um, and the perceived stuff, it, it really depends on the kind of buyer that you have, that whether that perceived value is actually there or not. So I think I think those are the biggest things to think through. And then once you've gone through that whole process, especially if you start the process early enough, um, you've involved the right parties and the right people at the right time, kind of doing the right stuff, you have a chance to kind of monitor those value drivers early in the process to, to get as much value out of them as you can over the the kind of the whole sales cycle, which starts well before you ever even go to market. Well, that's helpful for sure. So if a company is then planning for like an upcoming exit, so they've got, you know, a strategic divestiture they're looking to make, like what are some things today that they need to be thinking through that could help them drive as much value to that portion of the business that, you know, for example, that they're looking to divest? Are there best practices? I know in your experience working with a number of companies, kind of going through this phase of their life cycle um, that you would share or offer up to someone going through this themselves? Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is this is the important part of, of starting and planning the process now. You, know, you start as early as you can and you gather as much information you know, as you can. It's, it's funny to think about that, right? Because it's your business, you have right. all the information. But again, trying to, everything you're doing in this process really should be through the eyes of the buyer, right? And, and this is where it gets tough for a lot of companies because there's a lot of emotions attached to sure. selling a business, especially if it's a founder-led business, yeah, right? You, it's your baby, it's another Blood, child. Sweat, and tears there. <laughs> exactly, right? So I think you, you gather as much information as you can, you, you, you digest the information the best way that you can. And what this will do throughout the process, if done correctly, is it'll give you the information you need to know whether when it comes time to make this decision, whether it's time to accept a deal or kind of walk away from a deal. You know, you know what you're willing to accept, you know where you the perceived um, value drivers are, you know where the market is. And sometimes it it might be a lack of, of market availability, right? The, the, the buyer you're looking for isn't in the market right now, or you know what you should be able to get for the business and for the value that's behind there. And, and maybe you didn't sell the story correctly and you need to kind of go back and rethink about it. One of the really good things about this whole process is, if, if you go through the process and you don't end up closing a deal, you have just learned so much about your business that you really didn't think about it any other way. And it doesn't mean you can't sell it. It doesn't mean it can't, you can't exit. It may mean I gotta go back to the drawing, to, you know, drawing board and figure out what do we need to do differently? What do we right. learn from this? I mean, maybe there's something we need to do internally, things we need to fix um, that kind of changed how people were thinking about our business. Um, so I think the sufficient time frame allows companies to really build their story. So when you give yourself that, you know, lead time, so you can get your financial house in order, um, you can institutionalize the business value. So that's, that's the thing I was saying is once you figure out those drivers, you really, you really turn them inside your business and they become part of your core values, um, which, which can offer tremendous ability to sell and get the KPIs and get everybody on the same page and looking at the business, thinking about the business the same way. Um, you know, you can really start to think about who the best type of buyer might be. I think that's a really, really important thing when you think about the market condition and who the buyers are in the market. You know, you don't ever want to get pegged to only one type of buyer, but for certain market conditions and what you're offering, um, there definitely are different buyers that perceive value very differently and will pay very differently. So I think those are probably the, the, the biggest things to consider. Okay. No, that's helpful. And you mentioned buyer several times. Um, 
and even types of buyers can influence the transaction itself. Can you talk to me a bit about, you know, maybe some of the common types of buyers that are out there and how certain buyer types can influence different transactions and deals and things of that nature? And then if you're looking to try to find the right buyer for your business, like what's the best way for companies to go about kind of either seeking out that right buyer or is it waiting for that buyer to come to them? Or, you know, what have you seen that works well for, for companies looking to sell? Yeah. Well, I'd say to, to start off, there's, there's really kind of two main sort of broad categories of buyers. You have your strategic buyers and your financial buyers. So strategic buyers are more, if you think about competitors that already exist in a space, they're right. looking to get into a, a, a product that you, you know, they don't currently offer, trying to expand their customer base, trying to expand into a region, you know, um, things like that. And there are benefits to the strategic buyer that, you know, don't exist in a financial buyer, right? And then the financial buyer is more someone who is just coming in and kind of going to flush your company with some capital, like a, like a private equity. Yep. Um, they're going to kind of let you run your business. They they rarely go through and change management teams. You know, that's something that the plan might exist over time, especially if it's a, let's say, public exit scenario for them where they want a seasoned CFO or CEO who has public experience and the current management team doesn't. You know, so, so things can change. But generally speaking, um, those are the two kind of broad speaking. The, the strategic buyers are interesting because depending upon what your objectives are as the seller, you know, helps you dictate which which of the two you may be more interested in. Like if you're if you're looking to sell a business and you don't really want to have any involvement in it, you probably don't want to get acquired by a PE firm because they want you to run your business. Right. Right. Versus a strategic buyer. They have a CEO. Right. They have a CFO. Right there. The expectations there's going to be some key employees that stay, some segment managers, things like that. But a lot of the employees and a lot of the culture and a lot of that's going to change. Right. So if that's important to you you're going to get likely rebranded as something else. You're going to get subsumed into some other business. And if it's a legacy that's important to you, then maybe you go lean more towards a financial buyer where they'll, you know, they want your trade name, they want your trademark, they want they want to keep the culture as is. Um, so I'd say those are two the two biggest things to think about um, when you're thinking about the types of buyers that are out there, um, especially from the, from the sell side of Again, you go back to the first question is what are the objectives? What what do we what do I really care about as the seller right. um, and trying to keep those those things in order? So, Brett, would you agree with me that, you know, maybe the buyer that's offering the highest price isn't necessarily always the right buyer to go with? Like there are situations where there's other factors that come into play. That you need to also kind of weigh and evaluate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, price is obviously very important. That's mm -hmm. going to be uh, a driver of any of the deals. But I think the the overall terms and structure of the deal, if there's earnouts or or seller's paper or you know any any clawbacks that can get thrown into a deal, so price can be higher, but there's ways for them to get that back. Yep, um, those are all things to consider. And while important, I'd say one of the things that's often overlooked is confidence to close. Um, how what's the track record of whomever you're dealing with that they actually close the deals? Because often what happens in these deals is you spend you know 30, 60, 90 days in exclusivity. And you now have had all of your other potential buyers go walk, go find other deals, go do right. whatever else. And a lot of times it's a struggle to get them back to the table or when they come back to the table, they're at a lower price point than they were before. Right. You know, it's not always if the market's changing I mean, markets can change pretty quickly and, you know, in, in, a, in a quarter period. So that's something to consider as you're as you're thinking through the whole kind of broad landscape of, of trying yeah, to or those place. other buyers assume something went sour with the business that was revealed as part of that, you know, kind of the due diligence process or exactly. something along those lines. Yep. Um, so 
if a company decides they're ready to sell, you know, let's say a part of their business, like clearly that's not as straightforward as just saying I'm ready. <laughs> There's a number of challenges that could be introduced as part of going through that exercise. Like what are some of the kind of more common challenges that we see with organizations that are, are kind of moving forward with that process? I know we, if I think back to kind of our first episode, you know, we were talking more about the decision to buy or not buy a business. And, you know, in that conversation, you know, we focused more on, on the buyers, but also in, in, in relation to that conversation, we kind of touched a little bit on this, that, you know, sellers have a lot of work to do in, in getting ready to actually have a buyer come forward and, and look to acquire those businesses. So, yeah. you know, talk to me a bit about some of those challenges that we can expect. Yeah. And there, there are a ton. It's tough to sell a business, yep. you know, and I think, I think the biggest challenge that we often see is, you know, the, the sellers are going to, are going to put in as much effort and as much time and as much energy as needed to get everything in order to be able to present, you know, the company way that they believe it should be presented. Oftentimes that involves everybody in the, in the company who's involved, you know, in the sale process, they still have a day-to-day job. Right. So now you have basically two full time jobs, one to get everything ready for sale, all the diligence requests and putting schedules together that didn't exist before and responding to questions and cleaning up data rooms. And so nights and weekends. Yes. Lots of (laughs) nights and weekends. And it's not a short process either. It's not like it's a one and done. I mean, this is an iterative process where it's a back and forth over, you know, a pretty long period of time for for a company. Yeah, especially if you have an unsuccessful buyer and got to go through it again with the next buyer or something. Yep, yeah, exactly. So I think that's that's a big one. And I think supplementing, know, knowing that on the front end, bringing advisors in, you know, who have the experience, who've done this before, who know how to run the process, who know how to project manage, know how to create a timeline, know how to keep people to it, know the things that the buyers are going to be asking for, knowing the things that the way the process is going to work, I think is a huge deal because you can help supplement allow your folks to run the day-to-day now nobody knows your business better than the seller right Right. so the advisors can't do everything they're going to still need people's time more than their day-to-day but it it can take a heavy lift off of them and i've seen people get burnt out people get really frustrated you know they feel a culture's changing that there's not a whole lot of motivate deal fatigue we talked about in another episode yeah yep so it happens and you know i'd say that's probably the biggest risk and the biggest hurdle for companies because a lot of it's data-driven you know, nowadays everything's data driven. And, yeah. and if you don't have your data in order and you don't have everything available, you got to figure out how to go get it. Because if you can't present it and you can't show the facts and you can't back it up to anything, buyers don't really care. So you've mentioned a couple times kind of the term storytelling, um, which obviously is important to kind of the sell side aspect of, of exiting here and, and really painting that, that picture about the opportunity to potential buyers. So if a company's looking on how to best prepare that presentation, that story, you know, what are things they would, should be focusing on today to yeah. do so? Like I would imagine there's a number of things that, and we've probably hit on a few of these in some of the earlier questions, but just kind of expanding on that if, you know, they're ready to go. Like yep. this is this is kind of their punch list more or less. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the, the most important one is trying to take the objectives we've talked about, because you have the business objectives and now you have your sale objectives those aren't always going to align exactly the way that you think they might. So it's going through the process and having that runway to be able to align those objectives, get your story. You know, you don't want to be talking about growth drivers over here being the most important thing when that's not where the business has been focused and not been driving, you know, growth historically. So yep. I think getting those things aligned and being able to show that stuff. Um, I think getting uh, your, your management team in order, you know, going through that and, get, you know, 
allowing the buyers to see that, you know, oftentimes one of the most valuable assets a business has and in most businesses is going to be the people, you know, even when you're creating a product, right? You have people who are designing that, people who are engineering that, people who are selling that, people, you know, assets are are generally, uh, the, the employee assets are generally one of the most important things in the business. So getting that all in order, identifying your key employees, who, who, who can't you do this without? And then trying to align the incentives you know, to retention, you know, through deal after deal, because it's not always good enough to retain somebody through the deal. Because obviously, if you're selling if it's a really important asset to the business is the people, you need the people to stay. Right. So trying to give them incentives, you know, and it's not always monetary, but a lot of times it is monetary. Sure. Um, but there can be non-monetary compensation and a bunch of other things that, you know, trying to get those those people there. Um, I think getting getting all of your financials in order, your financial reporting packages, getting your KPIs done, like being able to show that list and, you know, companies do reporting packages, but, you know, a lot of times what it's internal and it's what you've been doing for how many years. Anyone can come in and say, "Hey, you know, what, what are we looking at here? Like, right. is, this, is this really all that it is? And and what, how do you run the business this way? What are the important metrics? And how does this align with how you're telling your story?" Um, so I think that's a really important one. And and a lot of times it, it's going to default back to data as well. I mean, everything is so data centric these days. Um, data rooms are so important, and being able to get the data out to the buyers um, quickly, efficiently. You know, it's even if you go back to your way back audit days when you ask for requests and it like you know. You think it's something that should be available and it takes them two weeks to get. And you're like, what is going on? Why how, Why do they not have key customer contracts? Why do they not? Where is this data stored? It starts to right. erode I mean, confidence. Ex right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and if you start then pulling your data that you hadn't looked at that way before and it starts to not align with the story you're telling, especially if it's not if it's on the back end of the deal, mm -hmm. you know, uh, buyers can get kind of scared and they can walk from it because they're like, this isn't this doesn't make us feel very good. Right. So I think those things are probably the biggest things to consider. So in any deal, you know, negotiations, right, are a huge component of hopefully bringing that deal to an ultimate agreement and then closure um, of that deal itself. So what have you seen as being kind of critical pieces or components during kind of this phase of the exit? Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit earlier of that, you know, the the process to go through and sell a business is often underestimated, mm -hmm. you know, by the sellers. It's that's not what you're in the business of doing. You know, most people might sell a business, you know, once in their life, maybe twice, right? Which yeah. isn't very often. Um, so I think going through and understanding that there, there's there's going to be a really bit, there's a huge task in front of you, and and there are um, advisors out there that can help with a lot of the deal structuring, a lot of the legal advice, a lot of the um, valuation, storytelling, KPIs, and these companies, you know, uh, go through and this is what they do, you know, legal tax structuring, um, all, all of that go through and they know what's in the market. They, they've done 10, 12, 15 deals, however many each year, and they know, you know, how companies are negotiating. They know what sellers are looking for, what buyers are looking for, what the marketplace is offering. They have the comps, they, they know how to get through the finish line. So, you know, I would say that, you know, that the most critical place where a deal falls through more times than not is kind of like that last week, that last mile push where everybody's negotiated kind of the easy stuff. And now you're down to the, the nitty gritty, the stuff, the, that, the stuff that matters. <laughs> right. And, and, and understanding how to structure things and, and, and aligning what are the important motivating factors and, you know, value drivers for the buyer with the seller. And you're going to have to compromise somewhere. I mean, both sides are going to have to compromise. Nobody's 
you know, deals generally both sides know what they're doing. It's not going to be one sided, right? right? So, so knowing what they what they care about, what you care about, and being able to align those things, and I think getting the right people um, in early to be able to help you through that process is probably the most critical piece of all of that. So, how important is kind of establishing a sale timeline or a deal timeline? Like, yeah, for the seller. Yep. Yeah, a deal timeline is really important because what it what it does is it it really allows the seller to control the narrative more. Mm-hmm. You know, generally speaking, when you're selling the business, you, you want to be the one that's directing others what to do. You don't ask them to just send you stuff. You you give them instructions. You tell them, you know, here's here's your bid instructions. Here's the template. You know that you're going to be giving your offer on. Here are the terms and conditions that and allow them to mark it up. You know, you don't ever allow them to throw in their terms and conditions. They'll mark it up and they might try to throw them in, and then that's where the negotiating starts. Is you know you know your absolutes. You know your I don't really cares, and you know your you know that's probably five percent on either side. The stuff you don't really care about, and then the stuff you really do care about, and the rest is going to fit in the middle somewhere where. Right. I, you know, you can, you can give some, you can take some, and it's, it's not really changing much of what anybody cares about. So I think those are the, the most important things. Okay. So let's say we've made it to the finish line. We're there getting ready to close this deal itself. Everything's seems like it's house is in order, ready to go. Anything kind of in this final, we're going to hopefully sign the final closing docs, um, final step here that sellers need to keep in mind. Yeah. Yep. I think the the most important thing is is thinking about all, getting all of the things done that are outside of your control. Right? So oftentimes when you go through into these deals, there's a bunch of approvals that have to get done, whether it's regulatory approval approvals or union approvals or shareholder approvals, mm-hmm. board approvals, all, everybody and ev- you know, everyone's going to have to sign off on this deal and I think, you know, waiting to do any of that not starting the process right away not getting in front of the folks that you need to get in front of and making sure that everything's in order and things are getting done and again being able to tell the story why, why is this the right decision now you know and, and you know because one of those approvals that's required that doesn't get done deal's done right. you know at least under those terms and conditions and you got to go back to the drawing board and so um i think i think getting lazy on any of that stuff would be would be really bad obviously if it's in the control of the sellers you know there's you know when the things the buyers are in control of both sides are going to work together but there there definitely are parties involved that are not really buyer or seller and you you have to go through and get those approvals done that's probably the biggest thing okay so we've covered a lot today and then there's a lot of good insights experience um observations that you've had in your past that you've shared with us today I guess maybe to help wrap our conversation, you know, what are just some key takeaways, just kind of a bullet checklist here of things you would want someone listening to this that's thinking through, okay, we're we're contemplating an exit for, you know, some our business next year. What are some things that they need to keep kind of top of mind as yeah. they move forward with that? Yeah, the first one I'd say the probably the most important one is you know, if that's really something you're contemplating now, start now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, get the process going and then don't lose focus. And by that I mean you still have a business you have to run. You know, oftentimes you can get so wrapped up in this sale process that again, we talked about it before. You know, your people are getting distracted. They lose their day to day. You stop running the business. You still have quarterly reporting you have to do or bank reporting you have to do or annual audits need to get done. All those things have to still happen. You still got to respond to customers and, you know, find new new work. So I think that's probably, you know, the biggest one, you know, getting prepared to sell that timeline, building that timeline out, know, knowing all of the things 
you know, learning as much about your business as you can, sticking to the facts, you know, laying out all the data that you can gather and, and positioning and, and presenting it in a way that is factual. Um, it's fine to be aggressive as long as it's supportable. Um, going through and, you know, getting your sell side diligence reports done, you know, I would say all of those things. Um, and with that, I think addressing any of the uh, data issues up front. I think that's a big thing. And it's really not just data issues, really any issues up front. But a lot of times it's the data issues where there's lack of visibility. Uh, systems, you know, can only run a report a certain way. You can't get back to something someone's asking for. But I think, you know, putting that stuff in front of a potential buyer up on the front end allows them to understand that there's transparency, that, you know, you understand that maybe something they're interest in, interested in, there may be supplemental information you can provide. Otherwise, it's not perfect, but gets them there. So I think any of those things on the back end, you know, immediately they're going to start pulling back on price, you know, right. as soon as those things happen, which is, you know, not necessarily what you want. Um, I think another big one is, is focusing on the value proposition. We talked about that of, you know, knowing why the business in the future is going to provide what you think and know it should provide. And you've worked however long to get to this point, you have the history, you have the growth and, and how is that going to continue and being able to kind of stick to that. And I think one last, um, and probably the most important one is, you know, taking care of your people. You know, we talked about this, that, you know, your employees are, are oftentimes, uh, the most valuable asset, a, mm -hmm. you know, if not always the most valuable asset a business has and making sure that you're taking care of those people. You talked about deal fatigue and everything else, um, stru structuring it so such that they're protected and, and really not just thinking about the deal from the perspective of price again, right? It's, it's what's the best thing for the business What's the best thing for the people. Um, you know, obviously you have to think about it from the seller's perspective as well, but you know, with that should come people, people first, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, great reminders there. And I think, you know, it's a good place to put a pin in this one for today. So Brett, I want to thank you, uh, for joining me. I appreciate you me. sharing, like I said, all your insight, knowledge, um, good, good pieces of advice there at the end as well. So. Uh, a lot for companies to think through as they are, you know, maybe approaching their next exit transaction. And this really rounds out our kind of deals transaction lifecycle mini series. If you haven't had a chance to listen to our first two episodes, I definitely encourage you to check those out on your podcast feed. Uh, and in the meantime, for Embark, you know, this is Accounting Matters. I want to thank you all for following along and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.